Hello and welcome to the Philanthropy Australia podcast. If there's one thing that many of us have become familiar with in the past 18 months, it's a daily figure that tells us how many COVID-19 cases we're dealing with. And we've become pretty experienced at looking at charts and graphs these days. If there's one thing the pandemic has done, it's changed how we look at numbers and what numbers we value. In any given week, we're asking how many of us have had one jab, how many of us have had two, how many are infectious in the community. How many is one of the simplest questions to ask, but in some instances, it can also be the hardest one to answer. What we have come to believe over time is that the more numbers we have, the more we might be able to understand what's going on around us. The more we know, the more certain we can be and that the broad data landscape can illuminate not only where we are, but also potentially where we're going. Nothing demonstrates these possibilities more than the statistics and insights around the giving sector in the past 18 months. Seasoned philanthropy observers don't necessarily subscribe to the view that what we've seen is a sudden emergence of different kinds of data, or even necessarily a greater depth of figures but there's no doubt that the data that has become available contributes to a richer tapestry of understanding, revealing particularly how the pandemic has affected the broader sector and how the sector itself has responded to those challenges. Across those months, we've seen data on the state of the for-purpose sector, the extent of corporate giving in Australia, the impact of COVID on the nation's volunteering, insights into technology issues confronting charities, potential of intergenerational wealth transfer, funders' response to the pandemic, as well as the annual list of Australia's leading philanthropists. In this Philanthropy Australia podcast, we take a look at what this data really tells us and where it could take us. We talk to those who've done the work and ask them to reflect on how the data could shape the sector for the grant makers and the grant seekers. The first thing we need to understand is that the foundations of the data picture are built on the long-standing annual Australian Taxation Office figures, plus data from the Australian Charities and Not-for-Profits Commission, which has been available for only five years. So that's where we start. The picture may not be crystal clear, but it has far more clarity than it did a decade ago. But there are gaps, and the crisis in many ways has become the ideal time to find out what we don't know. Professor Christy Muir is CEO of the Centre for Social Impact, It was the CSI, with Social Ventures Australia, who rolled out the Pulse of the Four Purpose Sector survey that provided such a trove of insights into how the sector was struggling with the impact of the pandemic. Christy believes that data has a particular role to play. Data is important because it gives us an understanding of where we're at. It gives us an understanding of where we've been and where we've come from, and it helps us make plans for where we want to go. One of the tricky things over time around the lack of data on the for-purpose sector has been it's been really difficult to then be able to say how big the sector is, who's working for the sector, the resources the sector has in, how the sector's coping, who's being supported, who's not, all of those kind of things. And so some years ago, we saw the ACNC come in with the Australian Information Statement. And that was actually a really great first piece of work around, let's get our head around, at least from the charities perspective, non-profits and charities perspective, let's get our head around enough data 
that we could start collecting some basic information about our nonprofits and charities in Australia. And that's really important. I think the challenge with just the AIS is it's not enough. So it gives us great data around those things like what's your overarching purpose areas, who are the beneficiaries that you support, how many employees you have, the revenue lines that charities and nonprofits are bringing in. It tells us a whole lot of things, but it doesn't actually give us a great in-depth sense of demand for services how charities are coping, to what extent they feel like they're able to help people, whether they're building their own capability, where the gaps are, where they're most challenged and their ability to kind of thrive and play the role that they exist for in society. John McLeod, part of JB Weir's philanthropic services team and a Philanthropy Australia board member, reckons the overall data about philanthropy is pretty good, but it's not without its flaws. There's good data for parts of it. There's not perfect data for the 100% of philanthropy. The good data there is very good. So ATO and ACMC on the the bottom upside, things like that, but it doesn't cover the whole lot. So for example, we don't know exactly the scale of non-tax deductible giving. We can look at what charities uh, report as their donations, but they don't break that up into tax deductible and non-tax deductible, and a lot of them don't separate bequests. So, for example, we don't know how many people buy sausages at Bunnings on a Saturday morning, how many people put money into cans at traffic lights when we were allowed to travel, how many people attend the running events and cycling, you know, all those sorts of events that go on. So there are some big gaps to that data and we make assumptions from knowing, as I said, some of the top down, most of the bottom up recipients through the ACNC, although the charities reporting to ACNC isn't perfect and consistent. But I guess we're triangulating the bits of data that we have, but it's not perfect for certain. But the data we do have does give us some telling insights into just what has occurred in the sector. Going back to the bushfires and early 2020 when the pandemic was just underway. And in some ways, the extraordinary generosity from Australians to that bushfire crisis was soon contrasted with the debilitating impact of COVID. Vital fundraisers for many not-for-profits just couldn't be held. Revenue streams started to dry up. In some cause areas, such as culture and recreation in particular, there was a decline of 60% in donations between December 2019 and last December. Across the board, volunteers who are such a regular part of many smaller NFPs operations were locked down and out of helping. Businesses closed, overseas students stayed away, thousands of Australians were suddenly facing an uncertain work future. The impact was immediate and clearly identified in the CSI survey. We saw in our survey of 500 organisations, 71% of them reported an increase of demand. So we've got this massive disruption, enormous change internally in organisations. You've got increased demand. Now, unfortunately, the third part of the perfect storm is is that many of them couldn't keep up with demands. And 80% of those organisations reported to us that they received requests in the last year that they couldn't meet, which is quite alarming. And they can't meet those demands because they're also facing the decrease in resources. And that decrease in resources in both revenue streams, 85% report a reduction in revenue, but also the, the people side of it. 
around loss in volunteers, you know, what you need to do to help support the staff. And we have to remember that a lot of charities, just think about the care sector for a moment. Think of all of those staff and what we know about where they live, how much money they earn, the precariousness of that work. What does that mean for families, how they're working from home? The people who are facing all the normal challenges that societies facing in COVID are also the employees of charities. And so you've got challenges around your people in terms of decreased revenue, decreased volunteers, and you've also got a staff who are under enormous stress who are trying their very best and doing an amazing job to support whatever the purpose is of that particular organisation. So this perfect storm of increased demand, can't keep up with the demand, decreasing resources. And now to our conversation earlier, we're in this point where I think it's this kind of culmination of the storm because it hasn't gone away. And we've lost JobKeeper, we've lost JobSeeker. We have new weekly disaster payments that aren't supporting people who are on social security. And so people who have jobs but don't have enough work, casual students, single parents, you know, there's a whole bunch we could list. They're not able to earn any money from that disaster payment, even if they're getting some kind of social security because they're not eligible. So what does it mean for them? And what does that mean for the charity sector trying to support them? And then we have, you know, even if you take underemployment, even before this latest lockdown period in Melbourne and the prolonged one in Sydney now, the quarter before this all started, The ABS Labor Force statistics said that underemployment went up, which in real terms, what that meant was that people lost 33 million working hours. That's a lot of money out of pay packets. That has implications on people's ability to pay rent. We've lost rent moratoriums that we had in place last year. It has implications for people to be able to pay utility bills. We saw for the first time, you know, people who were on unemployment benefits being able to eat three meals a day because of JobSeeker. They're back to below the poverty line. So how did philanthropy respond? What did funders do? The data John McLeod compiled shows us. In April last year, the JB Weir report, Where To From Here? The Outlook for Philanthropy During COVID-19, predicted a fall in giving of 7% in 2019-20 and a further fall of 12% in the financial year to follow. That would have pushed charitable giving back to 2012 levels. We saw a dramatic fall in philanthropy. Now, we'd expected that, but when you see philanthropy growing at 5 or 6% every year, year on year, a little bit of up and down depending on natural disasters, and then you see a 16% fall in that December half, you say, wow, that's the biggest single change we've ever seen in philanthropy since we started having data available in the, the late 70s. But philanthropy rallied. As it occurred in the US, individuals' giving increased and foundation giving increased significantly. The turnaround that we're seeing now is matching what we've seen in other big economic downturns, the GFC, other recessions in the States. We've got good look at data over there. And we generally see philanthropy bouncing back pretty quickly after those big downturns. So we've seen an even bigger downturn than we normally saw but happily we're seeing some recovery from that. And I know anecdotally talking to quite a few charities, they've seen a good uptick to their June 21 tax appeal, which is great. We know the NAB data is looking and predicting that as well. We've seen things like the Good Friday appeal in Melbourne, which is a good, large, long-running event. 
that looks at the mass market largely. That had a good recovery uh, from their private giving, leaving the government bit aside. So it's great to be able to get that real-time data and it seems to be saying we're, we're heading back in the right direction pretty quickly, which is good. What's more, John's research shows that giving by the top 2050 private givers had doubled over the past five years and grew 29% in the year to June 2020. Set against the broader context of increasing demand for support and the widespread commercial pressure on corporate Australia, Strive philanthropist Jared Miles' analysis of corporate giving in his Giving Large report released a few months ago revealed a picture of a sector that was keen to do its bit. Last year, giving by the 50 largest company donors in Australia grew by 23% to $1.1 billion, despite a significant fall in corporate profit. What was most surprising and also pleasing to see is how organisations, our corporates, increased their giving. They reached deeper into their pockets despite reductions for a lot of them in profits and risks to them as organisations. They reached deeper into their pockets to support the crises of 2020 and, and now into 2021, but they remain committed to their existing community beneficiaries for the most part as well. So that was a surprising but really pleasing result. Thanks to the combined data from CSI, JB Weir and Strive Philanthropy, we can get a pretty good picture of the push and pull that points to how some individuals and corporates have responded to the urgent need from the not-for-profit sector. Data also helps us understand that those responses were not uniform. A separate piece of research from JB Weir with NAB, the NAB's Charitable Giving Index, which was released last month, shows that particular areas of giving in Australia did better than others. At a time when health concerns are paramount, it's not surprising that the health sector was the only cause area to show gains in both financial year 20 and the first half of financial year 21. The report notes that international aid was the only other cause area to show a gain in either period, driven by the need seen overseas due to the far worse global situation compared to Australia's predicament. The cause area of arts and education fared worst for donations with the cancellation of both events and direct and on-site education in many situations. Social services and economic development and housing also struggled, and although the causes of environment and animals and religion fell, there was still some continued bushfire support. In the words of the Giving Index report, there are also some large differences between the change in donation levels and the change in donor numbers, indicating that those who continued to donate, in some cases, did so at even more generous levels as need grew. This varied considerably across causes. Taken together, the data shows the Australian giving landscape is doing its best to meet the COVID challenge, but there is something important underlying the figures, and that's that critical question. What do we do? now with what we know. Christy Mansfield is co-founder of SEER Data and Analytics, a tech startup that works with policymakers and communities to use data for social good. She believes that data's power is how it can drive action. So important for people to understand context, either understand the organisations or the issues that they want to get behind but also the context for if they're funding, for example, in a place-based way, then you know, understanding uh, what's happening in that community holistically. And data can and does provide huge insight into that. Not only that, 
it's really important that philanthropy can see the power of giving access to data or funding access to data to the organisations that they support because the data to action process, so data to insight, to knowledge, to action, is speeding up and very important for organisations that philanthropists fund can drive that action part as well because this is happening all over Australia at all levels of government, corporates and also the social sector. And the combination of recent circumstances has revealed how relevant data can be for local communities. As Christy points out, data about a community belongs to that community and it's their data to use. I think certainly there's a recognition through the multiple crises that we've all experienced that data becomes a very important tool for people to act locally. So it's important to see the big picture, but also to enable communities to make decisions that are right for them to respond and recover through the crises. And data is really quite important to enable that capability for response. I think without question, we've learned so much about how data can be a useful tool for that action piece. And this is where the prevalence of data can start to change some of the discussion. I think there's definitely been a step change, Nick, in the last 12 months. There has been a recognition that it is an important part of a strategic conversation and it is an important element of being able to work out what's working and what's not and that it has huge potential for changing the policy agenda. And our commitment to philanthropy and to the not-for-profit sector is to give organisations fantastic analytics so that it can uncover the issues that need to be addressed in the policy environment and really drive that data to policy change. The data actually in some instances makes a pressing case for change especially when it points to how durable some of the inequalities have become. If anything, COVID hasn't changed what was happening, but it's made it far more visible and accelerated it. And my hope is that a lot of charities will say, oh, we'd heard that was the direction, we'd sort of seen it, but we didn't worry about it too much. Now they're able to react and have a good reason to react. And and perhaps the fundraisers were saying that to their boards, but the boards, you know, aren't always as quick to react to that. Now they're being forced to. I think in a way it's a good thing in that we never want to go through a downturn, but if we are seeing a recovery and we've learned that lesson as to what's happening, that's great. The other thing that it's really brought out is we hear about this wealth gap globally accelerating and, and, you know, we get lots and lots of evidence of that. Most of the billionaires around the world are more wealthy now than before COVID started. We look at things like the giving pledge where people have promised to give away more than half of their wealth in their lifetime that started about 10 years ago. In that 10 years, their wealth has doubled. So their problem of giving away half of it's got a lot more difficult. You know, in a good way. So um, that growth at the high net wealth end is continuing and the gap between that and others has widened. If data can help change policy and the conversation about access and equity, it can also help shift some hardy preconceptions, including those about Corporate Australia. Jared Miles has been working with Corporate Australia for some time, 
this year's survey of corporate giving is the third he's done. He's no doubt that the data he's compiled about corporate giving points to a genuine desire to make a difference. The data certainly suggests that these companies are giving significant amounts to the community. In excess of a billion dollars was the latest finding from just our top 50 companies. Our best guess, if we extrapolate that to the rest of businesses in Australia, is that that could be over $4 billion that's making its way to communities in need. These are thousands of, of charities and non-profits that rely on this funding. So it's certainly a significant portion of funding that's coming from corporates, as, as hard as it is for us to swallow at times. And my experience working with corporates is that they have really passionate and dedicated teams that are working hard on the impact they can have in the community and that those same passions and those same thoughts echo right through to the senior members of the companies. For Christy Muir, the COVID crisis has helped to drive a proliferation of data in the for-purpose sector. The Pulse survey was created to help track the sector over time longitudinally. Its results released last year captured a sector struggling with multiple burdens. We really want and need to understand the stresses, the impact of policy changes, the impact of different regulatory type changes, the challenges that charities are facing and nonprofits and community groups and social enterprises. All of those things actually really matter. And we've never had that being tracked longitudinally. And so COVID, I guess, gave us the urgency of the opportunity to say, we've really got to do this. We've got to do this now because there's a whole bunch of issues that charities are facing as a result of the pandemic. But also the bushfires, the climate challenge things and various things that are happening around globally and and nationally. The value of such details is, according to Christy, in its potential to revive the sectors. The data will help us plot our way out more strongly, I think, in that we can better identify where the issues are and what we might need to do next to get our way out. We hope it will be the level of insight in the future. The Pulse of the for-purpose sector, we have got funding for to run for the next five years. One of the things that was really important for me was to only do it if we could do it in an ongoing longitudinal way because for me, I don't want to give charities more work to do if we can't act on that data. And it's important for that to be longitudinal so we know what's working, what's not, where they need extra support, where they don't. The tricky thing from a charity's perspective is we need people to fill it out. So we really need people to participate. And my strongest message is unless we get the data, we don't have the evidence to do the advocacy that charities need to ensure that they are thriving and resilient and can absolutely make their purpose. For Jared, the missing data piece in the corporate giving scheme of things is something a little harder to measure. I think the other big piece that's missing is the impact assessment or the um, outcomes. The more enlightened and the more advanced companies are doing this. They're doing this usually through the standards that I've mentioned, but I would say it's probably at around 20 or 30% rather than we'd like to see that across particularly our top companies, 100% of them doing some sort of impact assessment. So there's a big missing piece in terms of assessing impact which is really um, what we're aiming for, right? We, we currently look at total giving, we look at percentage giving, we look at a number of other important outcomes in our research. But if we could get to a, a point where we can analyse impact, the impact that's being had from these organisations, that would be the utopia we're looking for. Christy Mansfield's notion of a data utopia is a little different and the timeframes a little sooner. My dream in the next 12 months is to enable that rich ecosystem 
of data access and sharing that hasn't been available before now. For John McLeod, who spent many years immersed in philanthropy's data, there is a specific challenge looming for the broader sector. And his concerns, not surprisingly, are based on the data he's collected. And I always like to throw volunteering into the philanthropy space, even though it's not always seen in the same vein. It's worth more in dollar terms than philanthropy. And for right now, and probably for a fair while to come, volunteering is going to look a lot different, you know, for, for the obvious reasons of, of, you know, getting together and masks and all that sort of stuff. But also there's been a long-term trend for a decline in volunteering as well, as people have had less time, they wanted to do things differently to perhaps what volunteering looked like in the past, and those offerings haven't always been as readily available. So again, we had this long-term trend of volunteering being a bit more difficult. Now with COVID adding a whole other layer of difficulties to it and thinking about the value of volunteering to the sector, I think a whole lot more work could go into how do we do volunteering now? Can you do volunteering from home? Good question. What might that look like? How can we use that? I haven't got great answers for this yet, but I think it's a really needed space and it's such a valuable part of how the charitable sector, the full-purpose sector works, that it probably needs a lot more work than is happening right now. For access to some of the research referred to in this podcast, please go to www.philanthropy.org.au. This has been the Philanthropy Australia podcast. I'm Nick Richardson, and thanks for listening.